Thank you for coming to today's Bible Half Hour. I was so grateful for Annie and Peter yesterday and the concert. I don't know how many of you attended that concert yesterday. I'm glad that they're adding some more blues and jazz into that mix. I think, you know, I keep looking for a song for our ages. Uh, I, used to, I know many, many hymns. I know hundreds of hymns, all verses, like all 12 verses of the hymns. And so many of them I try singing and they, they don't resonate anymore or like the theology is completely different or it feels like a bloodbath, some of them. I just, but I'm trying to find new songs. One announcement I want to make, uh, in April of 2016, I'm coming to New England to lead a retreat, an LGBT spiritual retreat. And I've been thinking um, how lovely it would be to spend two or three weeks in New England going to various Quaker meetings and schools and places to just share good news and uh, to share some hope and resiliency about climate change and weird Bible stories and whatever. So I want to just put that bug in your ear. I think it could be a way of outreach and inreach to bring people into the meeting house and to deepen some already existing conversations. This week, uh, we looked at blood and genitals, tombs, placenta. We're going to go in a new direction now. We're going to go in a different direction. It's so interesting how this week I've been reflecting a lot about my former church background and the theology that was a big part of my my life in evangelical churches. And uh, I, I miss so many of those people from those days. They were really lovely, wonderful people, so many of whom were incredibly sincere and really wanted to help me and really loved me. But because of the way they saw the world, the way they read the scripture, um, they were unable to help me in the ways that I needed to be helped. But I miss them. And what I find fascinating is the many of the religious concepts and the theology of those days suddenly have become much more relevant to me today in the days that we're in now. Concepts of sin and forgiveness, redemption, resurrection, these things seem to resonate so much more to me right now uh, as I've been trying to figure out a theological framework to, to grasp climate change. And, and I know that there's theology out there about, you know, earth care and being stewards, and, and that's lovely, thoughtful, and sound theology, but it doesn't resonate for me for some reason. It doesn't, you know, grip me in any way. And I've been thinking of other frames of, of looking at the text and seeing, are, are there other models there to help me understand the times that we're in and how we can respond? And this concept of resurrection to me is so powerful this week as I've been thinking about that and the need for resurrection in our world today. So I want to do something unorthodox with the Bible half hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in that I want to, in a way, step aside and let somebody else come to the podium in the form of one of my characters that I do and, and give the podium over for to, to a character for a moment. But I, I need your help with this because this character often is not heard in the world. And I need you to adjust your ears to hear this character. For one, she is female. And strangely, even among the progressive liberal Religious Society of Friends, there are times that women speak and are not heard. It's this weird thing, apparently, it happens, or has. Perhaps it doesn't happen anymore. 
I hear half the audience laughing. Uh, <laughs> okay, so, so there's that. She's also Southern. And for those of us that live in the North, I lived in Memphis for a number of years. Uh, something happens, we hear a Southern accent, and sometimes we make certain assumptions about a person's intelligence and education. So that's a, a barrier you'll have to overcome. And she's also a very religious person from a very particular traditional Christian background. And for some friends, that's challenging. So I want you to overcome these obstacles and listen to hear what Elizabeth Jeremiah has to say for us this morning. Because although I don't agree with everything she has to say about everything, I believe she's speaking some truth and wisdom. And she has some sound things to say. So I'm going to hand over the podium to Elizabeth Jeremiah. I am Elizabeth Jeremiah from the Elizabeth Jeremiah Global Worldwide Ministries in Jesus. I requested to appear among you, friends, <clears throat> to share a concern I have for you, one that affects generations to come. What I'm talking about, of course, are generational curses. In my church, we warn people that their actions today have consequences for our children and our children's children's children. Now, I hear some of you saying, but Elizabeth Jeremiah, I don't have any children, to which I say, I will pray for you. <laughs> no, our actions for good or bad have repercussions like ripples on the ocean that reach far beyond us. Exodus chapter 36, verse 7 states, that the iniquity of the fathers will fall upon the sons and upon the sons' sons unto the third and the fourth generation. Oh, and this applies to mothers and daughters too. God is not a respecter of persons. Now, normally, the generational curse example I like to give is homosexuality. And before you jump down my throat, let me just tell you, I am the most tolerant person I know when it comes to the homosexual. In fact, my best friend's cousin gets her hair done by a homosexual. And we are faithful to pray for that man and his partner, Pablo, who isn't even American, but apparently has all his papers in order. <laughs> now, I discern that many of you in the audience are secular humanists. So I will give you an example of a generational curse that makes sense for you. Carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide. Thank the Lord that he created this wonderful chemical compound that is filled with energy and the wonder-working power of the sun. No, not the sun of God, but the sun in the sky that God has created. Carbon dioxide, which we breathe out, by the way, is held up high in the heavenly firmament, which you call the atmosphere and moves about and warms the planet. Otherwise, our earthly home would just be a dead, frozen rock, like the hearts of some people I have known. <laughs> 150 years ago, our ancestors, bless their hearts, hoping to better themselves, began to burn coal 
in factories. Now, a one-foot pile of coal condenses the energy of 10 feet of decomposing trees and plants, so a lot of bang for the buck. Our people burnt the coal and then the petroleum, which is even more energized. God had created the perfect system that recycles. Mm, I know y'all like that word, right? <laughs> recycles. It recycles the carbon dioxide through the trees and the oceans, giving us clean air. But the system got overburdened and just couldn't keep up. And that is not God's fault, okay? I hate it when people ask, if God is so good, why is there still evil in the world? Well, it is because people can be evil, selfish, wasteful, vengeful creatures. We've behaved like those awful tenants in the vineyard that Jesus preached about who were given land to care for, but instead squandered God's riches like a whore-hungry, drug-addled, prodigal son or husband. Our ancestors, Father, forgive them, for they knew not what they did, did not know that a single molecule of carbon dioxide, which is smaller than an angel on a pinhead, <laughs> remains in the heavenly firmament, stockpiling one on top of each other for a hundred years, ultimately disrupting the seasons, bringing disasters and woes upon all our heads, especially for those poor people in Africa who have it worse than we do. But here is the good news. We have the power to break a generational curse and turn it into a blessing. How? Repentance. Just repent of your evil, polluting ways. Oh, and I am not talking about sitting around self-indulgently calculating your personal carbon footprints and feeling all good about yourselves. Mm -mm. No, we need a national repentance. We need to turn from our sinful fossil fuel lifestyles and go in a whole new direction. Instead of a curse, we shall give unto our offspring a blessing of clean air and a stable planet. The Lord, amen, amen. I forgot that you people actually talk. <laughs> The Lord God Almighty gives his firm promise to us in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. Mm. Now that is God's good stuff. I'm Elizabeth Jeremiah from the Elizabeth Jeremiah Global Worldwide Ministries in Jesus. May God richly bless you and keep you and your whole household too. So I've been thinking about this, this need not just to acknowledge the sin that's in the world, the polluting sin, but to provide a path of forgiveness and redemption and resurrection for the planet. And I'm so thrilled about the role of the Religious Society of Friends on this changing planet. I mean, I think about 
the skills and the experience and the gifts that we bring to this changing planet, the ability to, to listen, to be still at a time when people are very anxious and afraid, the processes we have to process grief. I mean, the memorial minute and memorial services are so profound. And I wonder what would happen if a meeting decided to hold a memorial for the planet that is no longer here. I mean, the planet that we live on today is different from the one I was born on 50 years ago. I mean, it's changed. The Holocene period is gone. We're in a new period. And what would happen if we wrote a memorial minute about that and sat and had a memorial about that and helped people with the grieving process, not about the death of civilization, but the change that we're facing. Because grieving really so much is about embracing change, losing one thing and embracing a new reality. I think about many of you who for long times have been recycling and composting and and lowered your carbon footprint as low as humanly possible, and how in a world where most likely energy prices will rise, fossil fuel will get more and more expensive as taxes will be levied on it, there'll be all sorts of measures for people to cut back, suddenly you have resources and understanding, education to give to your neighbors and friends as they are struggling to adapt. There's so much you have to offer. And as we think of covenant and we look way back in the past of what Quakers of the past have done and then the establishment of, of certain norms and testimonies and the covenants that we're trying to maintain today, there's this question too about the commitments and the covenants and the promises that we will make today for people who will be in this room or a room like this 150 years from now who will, I believe, look back with so much gratitude that this generation came together to respond with hope and persistence and creativity to the crisis that is upon us. And as we close, and I want to put a query out there for you, for your meetings, for New England Yearly Meeting, and for you as an individual Considering whatever passions that you have now, child care, migration, Black Lives Matter, LGBT issues, whatever it is that tugs at your heart, holding that and considering the massive changes that we're going through, the huge challenge that we're facing as a species, the query I have for you to consider, to hold on to, to sit with, is this, what is my role on a new planet? What is the role of my meeting on a new planet? What is the role of New England yearly meeting on a new planet? Because we have tremendous resources to share. And we are vitally important at this time in history. Perhaps our testimonies and our history is more relevant now than it's ever been any other time before. 